0: are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions if so welcome to my podcast closing the gap with denise cooper i'm your host denise cooper and i am a storyteller i interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen, as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. I've seen an increase, and you may be one of them, and the number of executives seeking to learn how to lead during these disruptive times. In my conversations with them, they share their concerns and frustrations about how leading now is so very different than at any other time in history. Everything is changing, and what made them successful in the past is not working today. And they're concerned they will fall behind more and more as time goes on. I've also spoken with HR leaders who are concerned they or their teams are not equipped to meet the challenges facing these unprecedented times. They understand the need to improve their leadership skills and those of their HR team to support executives as they build upon the results-driven culture of conclusion. If you are in HR and you want to be like with like-minded HR senior executives, learning how to lead in disruptive times, go over to my website, rllessons.com backslash masterclass and learn more about my May 17th masterclass, Leading During Disruptive Times. If your desire is to lead well during these changing and challenging disruptive times, I'm inviting you on May 17th to join me and others to begin the journey of becoming a remarkable leader. I wanna introduce you to Men As a speaker and facilitator, she has organized and led workshops and think tanks with an evidence-based approach that incorporates the connection between health and well-being and effective leadership at all levels in organizations. Mim is the CEO of Motivia Partnerships Incorporated. She has over 20 years of corporate experience in project management, benefit designs, health and well-being program strategies, and implementation. All with a focus on equitable solutions for women and employees from diverse backgrounds in the workplace. She is also the co founder of Global Women for Wellbeing, GW4W, a nonprofit organization focused on empowering more healthy female leadership at all levels for a more sustainable world. Let me tell you, MIM holds certifications in group benefits, worksite wellness, and property casualty insurance, and combines all of this. With her benefits underwriting, HR, finance, and health and well-being expertise to provide more effective ways to create work cultures that are resilient and intentionally inclusive. I met Mim through a friend of mine, and I have to tell you, this is one of the most rewarding relationships that I've had with anyone. She is a thought leader, she is a giver, and boy, is she a dynamo. Good morning, ma'am. How
1: are you today? I am well. Great to be here with you.
0: Thank you. I am so excited that you're here. But every time I see you, I, I hear you. And we've never physically met, which is the interesting thing about this whole pandemic and Zoom moments, right? And everyone I know who knows you says she is a force of nature in the area of <laughs> well-being and benefits and making it so that we are changing the workplace to be more in line and attuned with the humanity that we need to be bringing to our lives every day. Well, thank the you. idea of healthy living, healthy leadership, healthy lifestyle, ownership of our health is the next big thing. If we, you know, if we don't learn anything out of this last, you know, 15, 16 months from COVID and the quarantine, this idea of having a balanced life is, is just something that we have to deal with. But you know, for those people who don't know you, and maybe <laughs> how did you get into this? What what is the driver? What motivates you?
1: Well, thank you for having me on. And it's a great question. I, I consider myself a little bit of a unicorn in in the world that I'm in. I I started out more in the financial world and at one point also worked for a chemical engineering think tank as a corporate liaison, got headhunted to work in benefits and then got insurance licensing and my AAI designation and my GBA and all these other things. And then moved into benefits design for organizations, both you know regional, national, international. And as a little girl, my dad was a neurophysiologist. My parents are both were super health oriented. But I started to look at the costs around benefits, benefits spent for these organizations. And the more I dug into this, I'm, I you know, started to say, these are lagging indicators. That's the financial head going. Mm-hmm. Why are we not being more preventive in the way that we do with safety committees? Isn't there a way that we can start to address this to start to prevent some of these costs versus just paying for them and managing them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that led me down the rabbit hole of you know getting involved with National Wellness Institute and Global Wellness Institute and Hero Health and Wellness Council of America and Midwest Business Group on Health and all these amazing organizations to try and dig into like what are the nuts and bolts of this, what hasn't worked, what's out in the marketplace so that we can start to bring a more strategic lens. And I am deeply passionate about the idea of building the foundation, the strategy, building the architecture of this so that it is measurable, so that there are real KPIs, just like we do for anything else in a a business environment, to help businesses be not just healthy, but thrive and resilient through change and crisis.
0: If you had to think about, you know, We've been talking about benefits and wellness and healthy living, and, and particularly benefits have been a part of the employer package for decades, You know, 50, 60 dec- years of, out of this. Why haven't we moved any further along? Why is it still a nice to have the least costs for, that we can get and still maintain employees? I mean, even the shift now to you know part-time benefits or no benefits because the government is going to take care of people out of this? Why have we not really incorporated this into, this is just part of doing business?
1: It's a good question. And I think from my perspective, we've broken down the trust relationship between employers and employees. And when I personally am not a big fan of the phrase human capital, Mm -hmm. we need to move back into human beings. And I think over the past 12 months, this has just gotten underscored. Mm -hmm. So first and foremost, anybody in HR knows that the number one reason that people leave a job is because of their manager, not because of their benefits, Mm -hmm. but benefits clearly send a message about, do you care for me? Mm -hmm. Have you spent enough time understanding what is going to support me so that I can show up and do my best, really contribute to the team? And I think that the real opportunity is going to be going forward is is to start to revisit that. I think there are organizations. So this integration between, well, what's my medical plan, my STD, my LTD, my dental programs, all of that, but in the bigger context of design thinking around this. So what does this really mean in the context of what we're doing? What does leadership management training look like? When we go and are recruiting the kinds of employees we want for our our organization, does our benefit in HR design really align with our strengths, our values? What does it say about us as an organization, not just a check-the-box piece? With integration, and I think this is going to be key going forward, with both gender leadership equity and diversity and inclusion. People are going to demand and are demanding more measurable change. And so the opportunity now is not, not that just we have all these things, but does it actually help build a more engaged, more resilient workforce? Or is it completely disconnected from measuring those numbers?
0: This, and this idea of of trying to manage the cost because many companies that's, you know, the finance group is dead in in your face about the costs are getting out of crime. And so, you know, we went through this point of, well, the way we manage costs is we be fully transparent and we have cost sharing with the employee and cost sharing over the years has gone through the roof to the point where many employees cannot afford to be cost
1: sharing with their employer. And what is cost sharing? Let's be really clear about that because if your employee, Everything is transparent now. Anybody can go on the internet. They know how much the company is making. They know what your executives are making. So if you're a lower level person and you keep being asked to share more and more and the raise that you got doesn't even cover that. So basically I am in pocket making less than I made the year before, but I'm seeing people at the top do really, really well, mm-hmm. how long am I really going to, if, if I had the opportunity to move on or, you know, I mean, that's just, that's well, just I, I big numbers. You, yeah.
0: and even if you're not worried about the turnover on it, it just contributes to, I distrust you. Right. Anything you say is always tainted because it is not fair that the cost can increase and it takes a bigger chunk out of my salary, actual cost, where it doesn't take a bigger chunk out of my bosses. And it also drives people not to be happy in the jobs that they're in, but to take on roles where they can get more money And they may not be very good, which contributes to bad leadership in the general. There's just some people who shouldn't be leaders, but they go into it because financially, it's the only way they're going to be able to, you know, see an increase over time of some substance. So this idea of cost sharing, and, and I'm bringing it up because I think, you know, probably if there's 100 companies, you know, they all bought into that. Consultant philosophy of, well, just be transparent, you know, 80 20, give it to employees, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's done a detriment now now we can look back and say so it's done a terrible detriment in that one. It didn't really change behavior, which would have changed right. the bottom line in the first place.
1: Yeah, it never got to the whys behind why these costs are going up. And right. I think that, you know, I mean, there's it, it's a complicated number. And again, I mean, I've done benefits underwriting. I mean, I'm trained in all of that. So it's not just one piece. And this again, it's it's taking the the time to sit down in your organization mm-hmm. to really look at what those cost drivers are. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, the companies that have done this best over time, it is this more integrated approach. But they look at things like, how, what does our culture say? What does it support? What does it allow them to do? And leaders, leaders at multiple levels, visibly lead and make it clear that this is important to them. Mm -hmm. personally, Mm -hmm. not just this is important for this group or that group. And yeah, I want you to go and do this, but that, and it doesn't have to be everybody. I mean, I know that, you know, we're not asking for that, but it is so effective when you have leaders using storytelling. Telling their own, I mean, when I I have we've done some great work, and you know, and again, it depends on how brave they're going to be. But if you're a leader, isn't this part of what great leadership truly is? And those stories that you can share that could we had a male leader talk about his wife's postpartum depression. Yeah, I mean, it was such a heartfelt discussion. Mm -hmm. Or leadership around caregiving. My mother, I just has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. This is what I've been dealing with. This is why we're putting this benefit in. You know, we understand. Or I'm a type two diabetic, and this is how I've done this. And this is how I'm using the program. So it's it's the efficacy of the programming and the, and the pieces of the puzzle that you're putting in to making sure that you have the sound foundation. It is the communication, the storytelling, mm-hmm. and that ties back to leadership at all levels. And when you build it this way, you start to see that shift. You start to see... Honestly, you can tie it back to your corporate bottom line, and it and it's not going to be a short term thing because I want you know I want our listeners to
0: understand that we've spent yeah. years and years, decades, destroying the trust that people have about your company, right. they, looking at you side eye. They may like you as a human being, but they don't trust you as a leader, and they right. definitely don't trust you as a corporation or a business organization. Oh, and so 100%. you have to you have to understand that is kind of the playing field that most. HR people are dealing with at this particular time. And I think not admitting that we have damaged distrust inhibits us from being able to quickly see results. And so these kinds of strategies of of humanized stories of this is how I'm using it. And what you're talking about is leaders who are actually role modeling in a very personal way. Yes. How they are dealing with the same challenges that everyone is. It's looking at what our commonality is and working on having stories that talk about our commonality, not our differences, and helping mm-hmm. people see that there are resources available that the company doesn't really need to know, but just know that we these resources have helped someone else. It is going to be a long-term strategy, you know? And so it's it's going to take two or three years before you begin to see the trend mm-hmm. go down or the trend to be able to shift. But if you're not paying attention to those numbers and you don't have it connected to a vision and a strategy, an implementation strategy, I'm not talking about having a, you know, too many of us have big strategies of we're going to be. You can't have a strategy. That a project an answer, plan?
1: There you go. <laughs> Real project plan year by year. <laughs> and numbers so you, that and you numbers. are measuring. <laughs> right. What is right? What are we measuring? Who is responsible for each piece of this? Exactly. How quickly, like, you know, not just like waiting a year, because mm-hmm. again, it gets to the iteration piece, but a lot of this where it becomes most effective is exactly what you're talking about. Yes, you have to build the strategy, build it specifically based on your cultural strengths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's key, not some you know, off the shelf. Oh, everybody should be doing this. I completely think that that is a waste of time. I think that the companies, again, do that, then build a project plan, pick the first two or three things you want to focus on, build those real project plans with measurements built into it, KPIs, and then look at a three to five out and say, this is where we'd like to go, yeah. but let's build each piece. Let's do each piece successfully first, right. measure it, move forward and you know, those that do this, you know, are going to be more successful. And I think the other thing is, is that there are, we live in transparency land, Yeah. the real talent that is out there looking for these places, where can I go and show up authentically? Do they have the right kind of mix? Oh, great. I've got some support for this or that. I mean, it's right there. They want to be able to see themselves in that organization. Mm-hmm. Is somebody like me actually somebody who can be successful there? And so, the, the benefits design, the HR policies, the leadership training, all of these things, you start to tweak all those things so that they interconnect. Yeah. It gives you such an advantage over time. Yeah. So, it, it's worth not just the once a year, let's look at our benefits renewal, not once a year, how are people working? How are we designing work? Right now, because of everything that's happened, I think this is the ideal time.
0: I know it's global women for well-being, but I'm really I think because the podcast is about closing the gap, and it's in my new. As we talked the last time, my new target messaging is really around we have to upgrade HR. They are just you know it's a hundred years old, hasn't really changed. We have to start retraining, re-measuring, figuring out better ways to measure, but it's got to be the function has to, um, upgrade in general.
1: Right. I mean, and again, I think after this past 12 months, if we don't fully understand, and I'm happy to repeat this, you know, that, that we must be talking about true resilience yeah, in the workplace through both, you know, again, the diversity lens, how does this look through every version of diversity? So whether we are talking about race, whether we are talking about ageism when whether we're talking about gender, mm-hmm. it may be religious background yep. or viewpoint, depending or what on think you know, or where you are, you know,
0: use their brain, you know, just all kinds of lenses. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, when we look at the numbers of people who are differently able, whatever that means, different in general. Yeah. Sameness is an illusion. Oh, great. Right. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's really
1: 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think of it, you know, there's there's a graphic that I've used and I am big on visuals. I think sometimes that's really helpful, but it's this idea. It's all these different colored strands mm-hmm. and it's how oh. they wrap together. It's not that they're all the same color, but that to me gets that visualization of that. Like if you understand what each strand is and then you understand now how to evenly wrap them together, they keep their individual color, but the strength is there. And I think that, you know, there are so many misses that we, we tend to still keep everything in these silent, you know, separate little strips. And we're going to look at this segment and this segment and everything's in a silo for HR as, you know, stepping into this, we have such an opportunity and the things that we knew 12, 24 months ago, 36 months ago, mm-hmm. have been underscored. Clearly, we know that we have to address systemic racism.
0: Well, the, the, and the magic or the, the word to remember is this idea of it's been underscored. Because this is, in my mind, this is a convergence of a lot of things at one time. And it's the perfect storm. Yes. Now, suddenly, we, have, we can access the data And we can look at the impact on people. So the data now has a story that whether you believe it or not, it still has a story that we need to listen to, look at and say, what's the implication from what the data is telling us? And then how is it impacting the lives of people? It, at right. work or in our society or however you want to cut it, it it either way it goes we have to begin to tell better stories about this
1: yeah and I, I love that you tie these two pieces together because what I find interesting when I go out and talk to and I was actually just on with somebody this morning I won't say what company but having this conversation about how are you measuring this yeah. and one of the things that I'm a big believer in when we talk about the resilience of your workforce or you know where are you where are the gaps where are the strengths? Right, so I think it's it's both sides. It's not mm-hmm. to say, oh, everything is, you know, we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, to use that mm-hmm. cliched phrase. But I think too often we don't take the time to do the due diligence around what is working, why are those pieces working, what are the needs at different levels in the organization, your frontline people, mm-hmm. your middle managers, your HR benefits people, and what does your C suite want, you know, because they're all going to have different viewpoints on this. And so if you're really looking at how are we going to build the workforce that's going to get through all the next normals, all the crises that that are going to come, this is just the way the world is. And whether we're talking about the next Sandy or Katrina, mm-hmm. or we're talking about a major weather event, major storm, tornado. Electrical outage. Exactly. Right. Those are, you know, they're one-offs, but they still have a huge impact. Mm-hmm. Or, or whether or shooting. not <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Or the next shooting, mass shooting. You know, thank you for bringing that up because I think that this this is another place that, to me, is part of all that weaving in Mm -hmm. is this idea of how do we teach leaders, managers, build into leadership training, and this is really where I think HR can take a big lead on this. Mm -hmm. Is addressing communication skills, including things like identifying and addressing violent language in the workplace. Get to it. And I know that this is probably something that people feel uncomfortable talking about. But again, past 12 months, what have been some of the most disruptive things that people are going to be coming back with? Mm -hmm. Or if you've been working consistently are clearly front and center. And I think, you know, this, this finger pointing the political conversations mm-hmm. going on. I know in the workplace we've like shied away from that, but I think that there's still on the back end with management. Mm-hmm. You've got to recognize that you've got people with very strong viewpoints, mm-hmm. and so being a little bit proactive about identifying where that might show up, mm-hmm. I think is going to hold companies in good stead in the U.S. in particular. And I think the
0: big piece is is that you know when you look at when you look at everyone across the and it's, so, yes. so it's across the spectrum. Well, for whatever reason, or for all the reasons that we often talk about, part of the problem is, is that we don't believe institutions anymore. We don't believe our leaders. And our leaders for the most part are the, the executives in a corporation. And so the fact that we don't trust them allows us to look for other sources that we feel are trustworthy. Right. And that's the, and, and so this idea of what does HR do? What do executives do? You know, there's all, HR is the one function. And I, I think in an organization that is responsible for building, for building systems that build the capacity of people and, and customer product, customer productivity. Mm-hmm. Through through individuals, you can say whatever it is, but they're responsible for the system that creates a culture that can build capacity. The executives I, yeah. are and on the other side are actually responsible for building the capacity of the people.
1: Yeah, and I think in some cases the dark side of HR, from my perspective again, I'm not the HR professional. I'm the benefits, you know, wellness, you know, health and well-being right. thriving person. But you know, often, and I've heard this. In more toxic environments, HR is viewed as the person that, you know, they're the people that protect the rainmakers that can do whatever they want.
0: The function currently, and well, at least 50%, if not more, if you're in stage one, is what I call it, then it's about compliance and risk management. And if you're in that, your job, your sole job is to protect bad managers from being sued. Yeah. And so that, you know, we we need to, and that's the kind of frank talk that we need to have. And if your management team views you as only about risk management and compliance, then you by nature are responsible for legally protecting the corporation from bad managers. Yep. That's your job. And so that's the piece that we're not thinking about it from a systemic point of view of, so what stage are we in? How are we growing it? What's the next level? What does the development of this look like? What is tolerable and what's not tolerable? I was on a podcast yesterday and they asked me the question, leadership junkies, I think it was, and they (laughs) asked me the question, I know, it was so funny, um, two white guys, which I applaud them. Yeah. We were having this conversation around what, what does it really take to be a good leader and why don't we have more good leaders? Because we've mm-hmm. talked about the bell curve. And if you look at the bell curve, chop that sucker off at one half. And I'm being generous at one half. <laughs> that means one half of your management team is underperforming. Yes. So if you go Ooh. just a little bit in, now you're saying two thirds are mediocre to underperforming. And yet we never call that question out.
1: I think that's, a, you know, and, and I really appreciate you calling that out because I think we still, after decades of talking about this, who are we promoting into management positions? Again, if you are the HR person, are we just promoting the person who was like the greatest salesperson, you know, and did, but do they actually have the people skills to lead a team? Do they have the emotional intelligence, the cultural intelligence? And I would add another one to that the, I call it purpose intelligence. Mm-hmm. Do you really know what taps into that purpose-driven focus for each person on your team? And I think that there's a huge opportunity for HR first to help managers, leaders put their own hat on first. Where am I with this? Yeah. Do I have good and listening And that was the point skills? of
0: the conversation is about, right? if we I mean, can't I, talk about our values and are we aligned to our values, then you, how are you leading?
1: Oh, and I think, yeah, and especially now, because one of the conversations that, you know, and I, I harp on this a lot, but we are not in the same place that we were 14 months ago. Even if if there's some magic wand and yeah. the disease goes away and we all can kind of go back, but things will have fundamentally changed. Oh, absolutely. And if we are not addressing both individual grief and collective grief, Yeah, we we it, what a huge miss in organizations. And HR has this opportunity. And again, I, I'm like you, I really believe start with the C-suite, get your managers in there. What happened to you? What was your experience? Look at the demographics in your company. And we all know who got hit hardest over mm-hmm. the past 12 months. Mm-hmm. So let's be... Let's be a little bit more aware of how those people are going to show up again. I know people that have lost five, seven friends and family members. Mm -hmm. There is no way that person is going to come back in in the same way with the same mindset than somebody that, yes, it was struggling, but they didn't actually know anybody. And that kind of emotional intelligence mm-hmm. from a manager can make all the difference in how people okay. are going to get, you know, and it doesn't mean that you have to be, you're not, nobody's asking a manager or an HR director to be the mental health professional. That's not what this is but it is having the intelligence and the awareness and the education mm-hmm. <laughs> to know what those key things are, to be trained to see them mm-hmm. and to fully understand what you have in place at your organization so that you can get them to the right resource. Yeah. And that, I mean, I think that that speaks volumes then about, wow, they you're not trying to solve the problem. You're not telling me as my manager that you're, you're like, you know, being the hands-on, but did you know we have this? as a side note, this was another discussion I've had this week was specifically around domestic abuse mm-hmm. because the increase across, yes. I mean, globally, but, yeah. you know, and, but and it's not yeah. it's because
0: we're locked up and are flaring.
1: Greenwich, Greenwich, Connecticut's hotline, which is what the, I think it's the highest per capita, you know, okay. income in the, in the country. There. are Domestic abuse hotline went up by like 30% over the past Mm -hmm. 12 months. Mm -hmm. And so, again, it's just one of those things as you're bringing people back into the office. What work with your EDP? You know, do they have those resources? Do you want to put just like they do in restaurants? Do you want to put those numbers on the backs of stalls in your bathroom? Yeah. Do you want to have a sheet that is local resources that you can give to managers? And again, you've got to be very careful because you're walking, you know, the line on HIPAA and some of these other things. But I would, you know, I've seen it done very effectively. Mm -hmm. And if you train your managers the right way, even Google did this internally around mental health, they had they had with the blue dot program. So it's similar kind of training, where, again, you are not a mental health professional. Right. This is the line you may not cross, but you are trained to know where things are so that if you hear something, mm-hmm. people know that you can go to them because, and again, it may not be their manager. It may be somebody, you're a more safe person that they can mm-hmm. go and talk to. And say, can you tell me about this resource? Or can you get me to that? And that can be a very effective way of getting more traction on what you're already paying for. And
0: But, but it also goes back to... You know, a strategic thinking about what communication is, because I'm not—I'm not sure yeah. that—at least not in this first stage. Maybe we will get to the point where you're talking about where I—I I believe I could trust a manager to be able to do that. But I think yeah, it may not be a manager. I, yeah, I, I, think, I think you're right about that. Yeah, because the workplace is so distrustful that it's very difficult for people to believe in their boss and what people are going to say or what they're not going to do. We just live in times where people are quite suspicious, and so yeah. I think from You know, it has to be a strategic thinking around this is what our value is and this is what we're trying to live up to. And here's what forgiveness looks like because we're not all going to be perfect, but here's a resource, make it ubiquitous in terms of of where you can find the number. You know, maybe I love the idea of the stalls. I love the idea of, you know, put it on the bulletin boards, you know, put it as a big banner for once a month or twice a month a year where people can talk about it publish the numbers. Yes. I mean, you don't have to publish what the stories are, but you Mm -hmm. definitely could say, hey, we've noticed a rise in calls for blah, 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 blah. We want, we are so happy that people are using this service. You know, anything like that, that helps people understand that there's no stigma attached.
1: Right. Well, and I think to your point too, it's about and I agree with you, it's always strategy, right? It really is. It is. So I think again, nobody wants like we don't want to say that we have this fine. Put the numbers in your community. Like whatever you're in count in our county, if you, you know, in this location, these numbers went up. We want, we want everybody at our organization to be aware of this. If you hear of some, you don't even have to do it in the context of your own workplace. Right. You can literally, you know, and, and I think that, that it helps people like you can be, you can help be the change. Yeah. If you know of a neighbor, if you know of a friend, just know that these resources are out there, but I agree with you. It is the touch, touch, touch. This is the other thing that I think is such a huge miss. You know, marketing 101 is that you have to touch people five to seven times. Absolutely. And what we too often do is like, here's this wonderful thing, and we're going to talk about it once, and here's the resource, and then we never talk about it again, or once, you know, once a year at open enrollment. Yeah. And particularly now, putting in some strategy around how you're going to touch your managers. But you brought up a very good point because one of the things that I'm a huge advocate for is go find your unofficial leaders. Yeah. And I'm, if you were in HR, chances are you probably know who they are. Does not matter what their title is. Right, right, right. It's the go-to people, and yeah. if you can get them on board with some mm-hmm. of this, mm-hmm. the change. And just be an advocate. You just
0: you know, and and think about you know, there's a couple of things that go along with that. Thank you for bringing it up. It, you know, one, we have, we're in flat organizations, so this idea of promotability and getting to the next level is an illusion too. It's about a role that some people can play and some people can't. But that doesn't mean right. that we can't grow more leaders in our organization because if we're really right. going to be innovative in our companies and to manage the disruptive nature of change that's occurring right now, then we need all brains on, on pat. 100%. You know? And so that, the idea of being able to designate people who are in your workplace as influencers, as people who can help Build the culture in the organization, cultural ambassadors, however this is, and and putting people using more effectively your employee resource teams, your wellness teams,
1: your safety committees, safety committees. committees. I've said, don't build a what if you already have trusted safety committees, there is no reason to build like a wellness, you know, build it into this because you already have a trusted network. Yeah that you can build on, which I think is, is really, really key. And, you know, and I think the other thing too, you train anybody who's ever worked with safety communities, they are trained, Mm -hmm. they are trained. There are very specific asks that are made of them. There are very clear guidelines around it. If you were going to go down the path of wellness champions, and again, I've done a lot of helping organizations build these, Mm -hmm you, there is a real process if you're going to be successful in doing this. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're tr- exactly what you're talking about. So if you want to change the culture mm-hmm. or, and I want to be careful about that. You're building on whatever culture is that's already right. there, building on those strengths, but what are the next steps? How do we make it better? How do we move forward and do that? You know, that's where the strategy piece comes in. Having honest, transparent grassroots communication channels which is really what this is, because everybody says, oh, well, they're about them, you know, advocating for the next program. I said, if you do this right, mm-hmm. you're going to, and and they become the trusted person mm-hmm. and you train them. Mm-hmm. This is not about you telling who said what and doing all of those. It really is about gathering the right information because so often you'll go talk to a C-suite and they have these ideas, aspirations. This is who the organization is. And then you go down to the front lines and you realize, hmm, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. a big gap here. And you've yeah. got your middle manager struggling. And so it is about, you know, a lot of what you're talking about, the strategy right. t- and do and the, the, the
0: and and really thinking about it. I stopped talking about culture fix and now talk about culture build. Yes. Because it is about an evolution of where you're at, where you're at, you got here and you're pretty successful. And part of the reason is, is that, you know, 9.9% of the companies are successful companies being mediocre. Right. Now we're talking about what does getting better really look like, and and getting better really for most companies is about being sustainable in terms of com- competitive edge. A hundred percent. They're never going. They're not looking to be the next Google or Amazon or the next no.
1: top fifty. And they shouldn't be. That's not what their strength is, right? Exactly. I mean, if somebody, you know, again, if you're trying to attract, good point. I, you know, I find it always fascinating. It's like, well, why are you saying that you want to attract these? If those folks that are applying there, that's the culture they want to be, or they yeah. think they do. I might argue that one, but <laughs> what's there in there? But, but short-term pain
0: for long-term gain. I really right. think a lot of it is that.
1: Right. And so what is it about your organization? Right. Every work culture has its own flavor, its own strengths, its yeah. own, you know, and when you really understand that, Mm -hmm. And what makes, you know, makes people want to be there. And I think the other thing too, and a huge, 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 huge thing that I think is going to be part of the discussion over the next like three to five years, it's intergenerational workforce, but also addressing ageism because we have an aging workforce. And many of these older workers got hit by the financial meltdown and now COVID. And it is interesting when I talk to organizations, I'm like, oh, it's so hard for us to get talent. And I'm like, Do you market? To people that are over 50 mm-hmm. and do you realize that you know your costs around your millennial hire your younger millennial hire that are maybe stay with you for two years and I mean, that's you know we know those are the numbers Right. You're your older Gen Xer or very young, you know, or or right at the tail end of the baby boomer, these people still need to work, want to work, and in general, may not be real interested in like getting into like the next big position. Right. They may stay with you. They can for the be your that's family. exactly right. They are your foundation. And, and
0: that's the yeah. thing. That, but that's a that's a strategic thinking of HR. Yes. Right, so, so HR has to be strategic in thinking about, you need a core of people and you can't have everybody turning over. No, and And so what's that number of people that you know are going to stay there for long periods of time that are going to be the foundation? How do you recognize and reward them differently than you recognize people who are quick hits that you might bring in simply because you need a an elevation around a technology or a thick thought process or a process in general. And so right. it's really about thinking about the workforce. You know, that's when HR is moving from compliance and they're now really moving into like stage three, which is really talking about building an organization's culture, building an organization's capacity right. to be able to be sustainable in the long term. And, and flexible and adaptable so that when, because they're coming, it's not a matter of if, mm-hmm. there are going to be more disruptions for minimally the next 25 to 50 years because we're just now rolling out the technology, which is going to cause the most re- disruption that we've ever seen, probably since the 1900s when the automobile came out, when the manufacturing plants came out. Yeah. We, We don't have people who remember the disruption that occurred then, but this is going to be on a global scale, probably if not worse, the biggest amount of disruption that we've ever seen.
1: Well, and it is Pandora's box. The box is open on technology. You know, I think even in my own, I'm sure you you feel the same way. Like both of us, I am sure I have learned, iterated, learned over and over again, new software, new ways of doing this, new CRM system, done all of these things. This is the other thing, too, I would say about, you know, what um, a more mature... Um, employee all oh, they they're not tech savvy. Yeah, pretty much everybody who's been in the marketplace for the past 20, 30 years. Is tech savvy. Is, is absolutely tech savvy. <laughs> yeah, no question about that. Everybody's using smartphones. But I think the other thing too is gonna be a very interesting, from an HR perspective, Right, is policies. We just had Dr. Kent on, who is out of King's College in London. So she is an expert in this emerging field around tech addiction. Mm-hmm. So technology addiction, how do we use it? in a healthy way? How do we Mm -hmm. use it in the most Mm -hmm. productive way? And Mm -hmm. I honestly think this piece of it is going to be, has to be for most organizations. You know, if you're not strictly in a manufacturing environment or something, but almost every industry uses technology. Mm -hmm. So how do we use it for good? How do we understand how it impacts people and use it so that it keeps people resilient? I mean, Zoom burnout, I don't think there's anybody, you know, that hasn't had some experience of that over the past 12 months here, right. you know in the pandemic but one of the big things i talk about and this is fascinating to me again especially if you're a manager or a leader mm-hmm. at least 15 minutes built in between these zoom calls preferably a half hour you as a leader must role model this because I've talked far to far too many leaders in the bag and global leaders, oh my gosh, I've been up since you know I had a team at 6 a.m and you know and then I'm still doing things at like 10 or 11. And I said, so basically you're telling your team they can never, awesome. ever, you know, sign off. Yeah. But how do they do this if you are role modeling this? Yeah. And so it's it's hard because if you're an achiever, if you're a, you know, and we are so many of us, it's built into our DNA, right? I'm gonna do this, we're gonna make it work. We have to get much more in touch as leaders and visibly role model healthier leadership. Yeah. How do we turn the tech off? How do we stop honoring busyness versus actual productivity? And how do we truly understand from a scientific perspective what where we optimally perform? And that is physiology, that is biology. That is who we are as human beings that has been built over thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And so we are, in some cases, we're fighting this. And this is why, as you know, I am such a huge believer that for us to move forward in the 21st century, we need healthier leadership. Mm -hmm. And that means physically, mentally, and connection to purpose in a way that builds a more sustainable future. And younger employees, they want to see this in their leaders.
0: Well, I don't think it's just the younger. I think that's a, that's part of the myth. I yeah, think that's true. Workers, and I don't mean, you know, I, I mean, I think anyone that, you know, is struggling, I think that is the one thing that we are seeing now because of this pandemic, everyone is struggling with healthy leadership, yeah. healthy living in general. Of when do we get to turn it off? How do we multitask? Is multitasking, you know, it's, it's still a myth, but. Y- yes. We still and your hold brain doesn't on. actually
1: right. do that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Go so look it, up the yeah, neurophysiology of no thing. This. I don't care Every what you say. Every time I hear that, yep, I'm it, with you. I'm like, I
0: want it's like mm. chalk on the, you know, the nails yeah. on the chalkboard. However, but how do we increase our ability to have productivity in a healthy way? And that really is around priorities and the discipline of using this two-letter word. I know people hate it. No. No is a complete sentence. And this idea that we can do all things with less is, is a bad myth.
1: Oh, we've been down that path, unfortunately, in my own career. Yeah, just do more, just do more, just do more. With less. With less With and less. less and less and less. Oh, and you're you're a superstar if you can do this. But at the end of the, and here's, so here's my other, as you know, coming from where I do and coming, you know, again, I have a benefits underwriting background, the financial background. I really do look at this through a financial lens. You make investments in data security. Mm-hmm. You make an investment in that. Every organization has done that over the past 10 years. And if you didn't, God bless you because, because <laughs> we know that but that's the federal a government progress. see the hacks <laughs> but yeah it's outside. coming right <laughs> but in the same right in the same and i and i asked somebody again on a, on a call i had this morning it's like oh we want all these free resources so if if human sustainability if the health well-being and thriving of your workforce is so important to you why do you want everything for free why do you think it should be free but you are more than willing to spend all this money on healthcare for sick people. And so this, it just, it still blows my mind that after 20 years of of like, you know, sometimes it feels like the voice in the wilderness is saying, it's still same old, same old. You still want, you know, so many organizations, you know, just have still in my estimation, you know, well, we've just done it this way, you know, right. for so long. Now, because of exactly what you're talking about, if we want our workforce to be able to create truly inclusive teams, if we want to have teams that are exceptionally good at creative problem solving, mm-hmm. if we want our teams to be able to bounce back from failure, because in the how fast we have to iterate yes. new ideas, new technologies, new products, right, that, that's the core of your business, mm-hmm. then they have to be at their best, just like we treat elite athletes, elite athletes, get coaches, elite athletes have recovery time, elite athletes eat well, get sleep, do things. And yet in a business environment, we still are married in many cases to this, like, you know, oh, they sacrificed, they didn't, they only slept four hours, they did this or that. And we, for whatever reason, we're still believing fairy tales Mm -hmm. about productivity and real solid creative problem solving, like- Mm -hmm. What do we have to build into the culture to get the best out of our people? Mm-hmm. And and this again, and I look at this and I say, if if you do this right going forward right now, mm-hmm. there is the health and well-being side of this. Mm-hmm. There is the diversity inclusion side of this. Mm-hmm. There is the gender equity side of this. And when you can start to fill in those gaps build on those strengths, right. those are the companies that are going to be very successful in, in navigating all the unknowables, because we don't know, right? How are yeah. we going to know who thought we were going to deal with COVID 15 months ago? Like, right. but, but, but we've been
0: predicting that
1: something like
0: this is going to be coming right. for at least 15 years. Right. That sooner or later, it was going to get out of the box and we would not know how to
1: handle it. My question is, has this actually helped um, move you towards your goals around this program? Has it moved beyond just, and and this is my favorite thing. Oh, we do these programs. Look at the engagement we get for it. Right. Did it change behavior? Because otherwise it's just people showing up for something and you're paying for something, but it's not truly tied back to those goals. So it really comes down to the, again, I always go back to due diligence. Demographics, geography, looking at it through different lenses, now assessing those different programs. So, a a great example of that, especially right now, mental health and well being. What resources do you have in place? Most companies will have an EAP, Employee Assistance Program. So, what are the benefits? Is it three visits? Is it five visits? Is it seven? What is it? Is it the right fit for your organization? Do you have some bias around people accessing those kinds of things? Does that piece have to be addressed? do people even, do employees even know when and how to access this? Because that's the other piece of this. Mm -hmm. So it may be the perfect fit for your organization, but nobody knows how to get to it. Right. And is it tied back and integrated with other pieces? Because you may get somebody that calls the EAP and through that conversation, that counselor goes, whoa, they're having a huge financial problem. I'm hearing major healthcare care bill, something. So this is another huge benefit. What do you have in place? Is it the right thing? And now how are you going to successfully integrate? Because you will get a lot more traction on things you're paying for. If you can work out with your EAP vendor saying, did you know there is a financial well-being resource? Let me give you the number. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So keeping them compliant. Answers. Yeah, now it starts to be this safety net as opposed to everything sitting in a different silo. And the best place to start is to see what you already have. What are you paying for right now that isn't getting the traction? A really good thing that I, you know, I really advocate for this. Go look at your benefit spend around mental health care drugs Mm -hmm. and any kind of mental health care Mm -hmm. spend around that. If you're seeing a huge increase over here over the past five years, chances are you probably are. And your EAP uptake is not very good. There's a huge disconnect. Right. They're not doing one or the other disease management. If you happen to have an older population, depending on where you are in the country, and you know that you have a high percentage of type two diabetics, mm-hmm. huge cost driver, no doubt about it. Well, simple I'm things caution-
0: like because w- one of the things we did when I was at the gas company was we looked at our top five pharmacology drivers and right. five, top five disease states. And one of the things we noticed was is the emergency room use for children was up around asthma, children's asthma. And so what we, we figured out through some other in conversations is that people were not at home enough to help make sure their children are taking the medicine because the spin right. was down. We saw the same on high blood pressure medicines. And we realized that people weren't taking their high blood pressure medicine on time. You can learn a lot and just shifting those little things like that.
1: And it's the right. And then it's understand. And you're 100% on the money here about the why behind because this is the other mistake, right? Oh, we're going to do this program around this. So if you have people that don't make a lot of money and are working 60, 70 hours a week, they have to work two jobs to make ends meet. And you're getting on them about certain things. It is very different than dealing with higher-end executives. It, it This is where all this nuanced communication, languaging, really understanding the why. Again, getting to that, what we talked about earlier, unofficial, go-to person, this is the strategy that gets, and it's all, the more you build those pieces behind this and understand, so get the data, do the due diligence, and then it's the strategy and be open to iteration Mm -hmm. because there is no straight line. You start here. You're going to think this is going to work. You're going to do this. And I really encourage, you've got to have a strategy plan, but the other thing is to be very flexible as you start to, you know, grow and learn, learn, grow, measure, learn, grow, measure, iterate to get to that, you know, that final goal. Yeah. There are companies out there that I know of that I, you know, some that I've worked with others that I just know about what they've done and the benefits trend spend has gone down <laughs> but. It took seven to eight years. Nobody wants to hear this. And so we too often start at a place and expect something to change in a year or two Mm -hmm. versus starting with some other things. I mean, and I'll give you another example of something that I think gives some immediate return, depending again, depends on the demographics, but fertility benefits, Mm -hmm. huge cost driver potentially in your organization. So there are very specific things that you can do around this. I mean, if you're a larger organization, one of the things i'm a huge advocate for is figuring out how to build in a trusted person in the organization or at a vendor that becomes the go-to person because it is a very emotional issue. yeah and what you find and private and private and very private so you know somebody sitting next to somebody else this is- other person gets pregnant, you're immediately going to say, which doctor did you go to? Mm -hmm. Well, that doctor may only have a 10% hit rate, not a 40%, not what you want as an employer. Mm -hmm. And so this is where it's very strategic about, okay, if this is the thing that you're going to focus on, building a trusted voice in there that people will go to will help and, and help navigate. So it's basically like an expectant parent coordinator. That's what I love to call them. Because you can start to guide them to the best resources Mm -hmm. and it becomes much more cost effective. And frankly, it's the human thing to do. If you're getting your employees to the right resource, what a gift is that? Yeah, From a mental a health perspective.
0: World, especially as noisy as this world is, the lower you are in terms of income, the less freedom you have to right. not be at work per se. You know, I tell people all the time, because I'm a caregiver, because you know, I just have to take care of my life. The fact that I have to sit on the phone call with the gas company for 15 minutes before I can get a live voice or 20 right. minutes. Mm-hmm. I don't ha- I wouldn't have that
1: luxury if I was a retail worker. No. And so how I'm do out. we help them? That's a exactly. great point. And I think again, it goes back to there are some companies that I have seen, even those that you wouldn't think would do this, yeah. they find out that, the, you know, do you have like an employee concierge service and maybe the yeah. concierge is not the right word, but employee navigator, whatever it is, and and test it out, pilot it for certain groups, because you're hundred percent right. If you have somebody that can take this off somebody else's plate yeah. so that they can focus on their work yeah. and particularly for caregivers, I know it's, this is near and dear to both your heart and yeah. mine. We've both personally gone through this. Mm -hmm. And again, with an aging population in the U.S., this is another huge piece of the puzzle.
0: Particularly
1: when you have to do with, you know, these simple things of just following up on stuff, you know, caregiving for somebody who's aging, the doctor's calls, transportation following up with AIDS, if there's an emergency, a pet sitter, a house cleaner, like it it becomes overwhelming. And I honestly think that organizations that really start to think proactively about this is going to be a huge benefit to keeping them engaged. I have one last question for you. You know, probably,
0: you know, this is where we're recording this in April, May timeframe. Pretty soon, we're going to be back and opening up. One of the things I was talking to a group at leadership team that I was, I'm working with currently is what are you going to do when people come back in? Are you going to have a grieving process that allows people, not just the people that they may have lost, but the way of life? That has been lost and changed. And how are you going to plan for, you know, three months or six months where people are getting reaccustomed to coming back into work? Mm -hmm. Maybe some of their colleagues are no longer there because they were, you know, they got COVID and they didn't make it or they've got long tail of COVID and they can't come back. So have you in some previous to this, because I mean, we didn't know this, you know, a year ago. What would you say about this idea of burnout and grieving in the workplace? Have you seen any good programs or ideas in terms of how collectively can we usher in and, and promote a grieving process so that people can get through the grief cycle faster, or at least in a humane way, and then get back up?
1: Yeah. So I, there, there are two separate Like, So burnout, you know, this is, you know, on the GW4W side, the global women for wellbeing side, Mm -hmm. the network of people that we have around Mm this, I am going to say her name because Dr. Bachmeyer out of London and she can work globally. She is a PhD researcher in burnout and has worked with corporations. Mm -hmm. So it is the expert in doing what that's the level of person that I really believe in. If you truly want to deal with this, it's about, you know what's your strategy, but then bringing in just like an architect does, right? Well, who's yeah. the right plumber? Who's the right drywaller? Who's the right woodworker? Whatever it is that you're going to need for that project, this is the thing that usually gets messed. Mm-hmm. I think it's super important, and I deeply appreciate you bringing up grief and mourning. Global Women for Wellbeing, we have done specific programming around this with at least masters and PhD level people that are trained to train managers and leaders. Mm-hmm. It is so important right now to do this if you truly wanna build trust. As you said, people are grieving personally in mm-hmm. many ways, mm-hmm. and not just because they may have lost somebody, but our communities have changed. Our favorite businesses are no longer there. Mm-hmm. Th- there was so much- Our way up- of life. Our and way we, of life is We
0: really changed. have to, yeah, we really have to. I think too often we're not even looking at the fact that our way of life has changed. Exactly
1: companies where you had to furlough or lay off. So you may have been lucky enough to come back, but your best friend who worked in the team over there did not. Mm -hmm. It is a huge opportunity. So I think, again, I always go back to the science. And if you can teach managers, we still expect people to bounce back after three days, bereavement Mm -hmm. policies, right? Typically Mm -hmm. three days. Mm -hmm. So the science tells us that if you have lost um, a spouse, a child, a mother, a father, somebody, your best friend, that first month after losing that person, it's as if you have diagnosable mm-hmm. severe depression, mm-hmm. diagnosable for a month. Mm-hmm. Usually for most people, it goes up to three months. Mm-hmm. And so here is some of the things that we need to be aware of. Now, I know you've got to, but I've got to get the business running. I've got to go do this. I understand that. But you have to have some kind of balance here, some kind of emotional intelligence around what this actually looks like for people. One of the greatest ways that I ever heard described grief, and for anybody, I, I'm betting this is going to resonate with people, is it comes in waves. Yeah. And psychologists, the experts in this will tell you that the best way to deal with it is, and it's mentally, sometimes physically, mm-hmm. lay down and mm-hmm. let the wave wash over you. Mm-hmm. Trying to stand up and fight this wave is only going to make it worse. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it takes a, it takes a physical toll on you. I don't think I don't think we talk enough about the fact that fighting grief Very sick. actually takes a physical toll on us. De- degregate your brain power, it it manifests itself in certain parts of your body.
1: Yeah. I, I mean we can that. do that, you know, and I, and again, I'm gonna advocate for GW4W, we're a nonprofit, mm-hmm. but this is the kind of training we can do with managers. Mm-hmm. Let's bring in somebody that can train managers to understand what it might look like in your team members deal with, you know, and we all have issues around us. So I think this is the other thing as a leader is to acknowledge, look, mortality is a scary thing. yeah, And yet right now, getting ahead of this can build much more trust into your organization. It is, again, I always look at this as an opportunity to build more engagement into your workforce if you do this now. There is a two-pager, again, that we put out for free that talks about this and it was authored by experts. These are mental health experts that are years of experience in dealing with trauma, grief, and mourning. And so it's available for free. Please feel free to reach out to us. We're happy to share that. That's why we put it out there but it can't just be a two pager. If you're serious about this, I encourage you to think about building this into some leadership training.
0: And I, I also want the audience to understand that although this sounds like it's very complicated and very expensive, that Definitely. the you know GW4W has come up with ways in which at all price points that you can figure out how you can in, take toll in the water. Yes. Uh, ways of thinking about it, because this kind of change is not necessarily something that you're going to be able to do on a dime, because we've done a very poor job. And if you you know, those people who have listened to this podcast for a long time, closing the gap with Denise Cooper, you understand that leadership has been something that we basically left as, you know, as something that we learn mentally, And if you get the technical knowledge around how to manage people, then it's enough. But the big part about, you know, I always say managing is the technical part, project planning, delegation, following up and follow through. But leading is wrapping your arms around the emotional side that allows people to have more capacity to produce and to live in a in a good state. And that's the piece that we don't really want to have in our leadership programs. And so these ideas of leaders who are more open to sharing, open to embrace well-being in the workplace, it, it's a process. It's
1: a process. Right. And each each leader is unique, right? You Definitely. have your strengths as a leader. I am I am a, a fan of strength finders core clarity anybody mm-hmm. who knows that that piece of it I think it's so important if you know yourself and you go through that you're like yep that's me yep yep <laughs> yep yep. Yep. You know? yep but but I think you're 100% right it's like as leaders the more we are in touch with where we are with all of this mm-hmm. and look let's be clear it's been really difficult for leaders yes. over the past 12 months you've gone through so much whether you have dealt with losing people yourself, having to lay off good people that you care about there, you've gone through a lot of mental stress. And so I would encourage you as a leader, if you aren't taking care of yourself right now, please do that. Put your mask on. You cannot be the leader that you need to be for your organization. Get it back on its feet, move into these next normals. At the very least, I highly encourage leadership teams to honestly assess where people are, Mm -hmm. help them build in resilience into their own day-to-day routine so that they can lead their teams and and build a stronger organization. I'm sure that
0: many of you, your heads may be swimming a little bit in terms of all the stuff that we talked about, but if you need more information, please reach out to Mim and her organization, globalwomenforwellbeing.org as well as her company, which is Motivia.
1: Motivity. Motivity Partnerships. <laughs> MotivityPartnerships.com, <laughs> <laughs> yep, MotivityPartnerships.com. <laughs> yeah. I'm on LinkedIn and, And you that's know. a great
0: way to catch up with her. Plus, if you uh, link up with her or at least follow her posts, you will have access to many of the free sessions that they do.
1: We do Wine and Tea Wednesdays yeah. um, at 7 a.m. U.S. time, noon U.K. time. And then we usually do one at noon U.S. time. We're on hiatus right now, but you can you can catch us on Spotify. A lot of these have been turned into podcasts. Mm-hmm. You can look at our YouTube channel. We have brought together leaders from around the world, and, and, and
0: if nothing else, it'll give you great ideas and connect you with thought leaders in this particular area who can help you. And I would together. say heart centered,
1: really, really smart, really experienced but leaders with empathy Mm -hmm. that are mission-driven about all of us collectively building this more sustainable world. Mm -hmm. So thank you for advocating for that. We need more head, heart, hands leaders in the world. Yeah, I think so. And with that, it's a wrap,
0: folks. Hey, that's a wrap. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast. Please leave comments below. I'd love to know what you're thinking. If you liked it, share it. If you didn't like it, share it, because I guarantee it's gonna start a conversation that will help you close the gap. I want to thank the C-Suite Radio Network for hosting my podcast. It is the largest network dedicated to the growth and development of leaders worldwide. I'd also like to thank Ivan G. Hall for the music that you are currently enjoying. Hey, check him out. He's really a great musician. And finally, I have two other requests. One is, please, please, please leave a review on this, either on Apple or Google or wherever you get your podcasts. And the other is, don't forget, please look up my book, Remarkable Leadership Lessons, Change, Results, One Conversation at a Time. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble in paperback, as well as Kindle versions. And with that, it's a wrap. Talk to you next week. Bye.